Harrison Ford. I heard it's your 30s episode. Whatever. Hannibal, there's someone here to see you. Wants to ask you a few questions. I said you'd probably refuse. A young woman says she's from the FBI, though she's far too pretty, if you ask me. I'll tell her you said no. What is her name? Dr. Lecter, my name is Clarice Starling. Read Marcus Aurelius. Of each particular thing, ask, what is it in itself? What is its nature? What does he do, this man you see? People will say we're in love. Are you hitting on me, Doctor? Tonight on the Late Night Fright, it's the feel-good romance of the year. Silence of the Lambs. Can you dig it? That was good. <laughs> Welcome, boogers, to the late night fright. I am Dan, and with me, as always, is my very awesome, very lovely, very talented co-host, Faith. Say hi, Faith. Hi, Faith. Faith, it's a big night for us. Do you want to tell them why it's a big night for us? Is it our 30th episode? This is our 30th episode. Before we go any further, I just want to say a big thank you to listeners out there who have been supporting us. We are being heard in 16 countries around the world, all over the United States. Thank you so much to each and every one of you. As I've said before, if you like the show, please keep listening. And if you feel so inclined, uh, leave us a review. It helps us get the word out on the show. Faith, do you have anything? I just want to say thank you, too, and I can't believe it's already our 30th episode. 30th episode. Isn't that great? And we have a good one tonight, too. I we know. have the number one booger of all time, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. We are going to be talking about the 1991 Oscar winning movie, Silence of the Lambs. Ooh. Can you hear them, Faith? I can hear them. Can you hear the lambs? Yes. So we got asked to do something, and this is the first time that we've been asked to do this. One of our listeners out there, David Nora Jr., he uh, he has a book coming out. He's been with us on Instagram for a long time, been a fan of the show, and we want to thank him for following us and asking us to do this. He has a book coming out. Let me read you, Faith. You want to hear the synopsis? I do. Book? Let's hear it. It was the night he tried to go home but got caught in their drama. It's Halloween. Nick, a towering figure of evil and stupidity, escapes from the upstate New York mental hospital he's been committed to for the past five years, planning to return to his childhood home where he brutally murdered his babysitter's boyfriend. This sounds familiar. Mm -hmm. His plans are halted when he crosses paths with an even more terrifying beast, two high school friends with some serious beef, like, oh my God, Faith. Caught in a battle of loyalty that has been brewing for 10 years of their friendship, the two girls... Kathleen Strife and Betsy Coleman forced the feud into a savage showdown, pitting the escaped monster against each other. Who will survive this epic death match? And is it totally wrong to fall in love with the murderous lunatic who just tried to kill your ex-best friend with a machete? The book is called Slasher Crasher. www.blackrosewriting.com 
backslash horror backslash slasher crasher. We are going to be promoting this book as it comes out, and it's going to be coming out August 22nd. But be looking for some fun stuff from us, and we might even try and have David on the show. He, uh, he seems like he's a very righteous dude, and we're happy to help him out. And David, thank you for asking us to do this, and thank you for supporting the show, and we're going to have some more good stuff for you regarding slasher crasher in the future doesn't that sound like a book you would like that sounds pretty cool yeah sounds like a cross between a slasher movie and mean girls yes (laughs) i like slasher movies and i like mean girls me too you know we wear pink on fridays faith okay I, i i get that okay so as we said this is our 30th show we are talking about the 1991 movie silence of the lambs thank you for joining us we know you have a lot of options when it comes to what you listen to but faith before we get into silence of the lambs we have a little bit of business don't we we do you want to tell them what that bit of business is is it the news it's time for the news Buchanan's Burrito Barn recently had its grand reopening. The Burrito Barn caught fire after one of its cooks successfully lit a fart after eating two of the restaurant's signature entrees, the burrito known as the Rectifier. That's right, Faith. The Rectifier is, of course, a burrito that has eight kinds of beans, nine kinds of cheese, beef, pork, chicken, fresh and pickled jalapenos, onions, and Biff's juice, which is a combination of cilantro ranch, sour cream, and a whole lot of sriracha. The, bur- the burrito is marinated overnight in grease and chili powder. It's in fried and served with nacho cheese, salsa, and a taco sauce that is available in mild, hot, and flaming TP strength. As Biff says, if this doesn't clean you out, go see a doctor. Another Tex-Mex restaurant just had its grand opening next to Biff Buchanan's Burrito Barn. We are talking about Rita's Burrita, home of the 12-layer burrito and the chimichanga climax. Is that the all-you-can-eat chimichangas? Yes. What's the climax? I don't want to know. And finally, right next door to Biff's and Rita's is Uncle Willie's Tamale Taboo. Uncle Willie's slogan is, slides right in, slides right out. These tamales are so spicy that Uncle Willie sprang to have porta-potties put outside for Tamale Taboo's grand opening. This smells like trouble. It smells like something. We are going to go live to Bobby, who is downtown at the Cozy Pavilion, home of Biff Buchanan's Burrito Barn, Rita's Burrita, and Uncle Willie's Tamale Taboo. Bobby is, of course, the host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. And Bobby, I would say he's our best friend, isn't he, Faith? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, all right, here we go. Bobby, are you with us? How is it down there? You guys, it smells like hot ass. It smells like burning hair. And like flat tires, you know that smell of like a really flat tire? Yeah. You people are disgusting. You disgust me. Why they open like three burrito bars like right next to each other? It doesn't make any sense. You guys, That's a good seriously, not. She's mm-hmm. down here. I gotta get out of here. Hey, congrats on the thirtieth. Oh, thanks. See you guys later. Well, that uh, that sounds pretty terrible, doesn't it? Poor Bobby. <laughs> Poor Bobby. So. Uh, one other thing before we go to break, uh, the past week in between the time we recorded our last show on this show, uh, was the 75th anniversary of D-Day. And I just got goosebumps thinking about it. We want to thank everyone, uh, that was involved in that. That is one of the most historic missions in human history. And sincerely from the bottom of my heart, thank you 
to everyone out there. It was Faith, it was pretty touching uh, seeing those guys. You know, only 4% of those veterans are left, and I feel I very fortunate that I'm in the generation that gets to call them grandparents. And to everyone out there serving, uh, we thank you so much. We Absolutely. get to do our little our little goofy show because of men and women like you. So if you get a moment, seriously, uh, look at some D-Day stuff. And if you know any World War II veterans who are still with us, hug them, hug them. That it truly is the greatest generation, and I am I will forever be in awe of them. Me too. So, Faith? Yes? 30th show. I know. Can you believe it's it? It's about time, huh? <laughs> about time to take a break, right? Yes, it is. Wow, listen, oh, the music came up. You hear that? I hear that. Wow, it's must be 30th episode music, right? I guess so. So we are going to be talking about the 1991 Oscar-winning film The Silence of the Lambs starring Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins tonight. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart to you out there around the world who have been listening to the show, thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you so much. So I want to take a quick moment and dedicate this to a great friend of mine, Glenwood Campbell, who passed away right before this show aired. You may remember we we had a little news segment on him in the Predator episode. He didn't get to hear it, but I'm pretty sure that he's out there listening. I would also like to dedicate this to my other best friend, Belle, my four-legged friend who was around for the first episode, and she left us in April, and I'm sure she's still listening. I want to thank my good friend Cade Fontenot for supporting us in this endeavor. I want to thank our good friend Rebecca from Impus Alchemy. And I want to thank our friends over at the Mysterious AF Podcast. And Faith, most of all, I would like to thank you. Well, thank you. That music really is triumphant, isn't it? It really is. So, 30 episodes, they are all available on your favorite streaming platforms, starting with Scream, going to... Friday the 13th remake, Elm Street remake, all the way through Clue from 1985. And as I said, tonight, 1991's Silence of the Lambs. We're not even doing a booger of the week. We have the number one booger of all time with us this week. I know. So, you got anything, Fat? I really don't. Well, then let's do it. Let's go for it. I feel like we're building to a crescendo. Ready? <laughs> the gang's all here tonight. I know. Here we go. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And I'm Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the late night fright. I'm Antoine Duplay, psychic. I'm Greg Huffleplank, better known as Lothar. I'm Slatulus, Paul I'm Mike O'Kane. I bet you didn't know that. It's me, Dr. Palladium, inventor of the Murderbot. I am Murderbot. Don Queen Fatima. Hey, it's your old Uncle Frank. Yeah, you know me, don't you, kids? And uh, this is uh, Ross Roberts, host of uh, What I'm Looking At. You can watch me on WKMF Cozy Corner. This is um, Harrison Ford. This is uh, Todd Wick. And I'm Shasta. That's my wife, Shasta. <laughs> Want to thank everybody for showing up. 1991 Silence of the Lambs. Let's tell them what they're listening to. Are you ready? You are listening only on WKMF, Cozy Corner Public Radio. We will see you on the other side. Mythology is really a way for society to 
um, there are stories that are told to the people in the society to make them into a society so that they have a common belief system. And you do that not by giving them a bunch of lessons, but to give them heroes, people who we admire, who we want to emulate, and they do things wrong. And you say, don't do those things wrong. Do these things. This is what friend, these are what friendships mean. We know you have these feelings about your father. It's not a secret. And your mother. And you know, there's a lot of psychology involved in it. But they would pass these things along, and then the society would have a common um, uh, history. And it would be bigger than life. And they would all join together, and they would use that you know, to uh, make their society function. Kids like to be scared, you know, bedtime stories, ghost stories, Edgar Allan Poe, or Grimm's fairy tales, and kids, uh, the big bad wolf, and little red riding, and all that stuff. So these stories of mythology are simply trying to express a truth that can't be grasped any other way. It's the edge, the interface between what can be known and what is never to be discovered because it is a mystery transcendent of all human research. The source of life. What, what is it? No one knows. Why are stories important for getting at that? Well, I think it's, it's important to live life with a knowledge of its mystery and of your own mystery. And it gives life a, a new zest, a new balance, a new harmony to do this. Therapy and psychological therapy, when people find out what it is that's ticking in them, they get straightened out. And uh, what is it that life is? I find thinking in mythological terms uh, has helped people visibly, you can see it happen. How? What does it do? It, it uh, erases anxieties. It puts them in accord with the inevitables of their life, uh, and, and they can see the, uh, the positive values of what are the negative aspects of what is positive. It's, uh, it's, it's whether you're going to say no to the serpent or yes to the serpent, as easy as that. Okie dokie. I tell you things, you tell me things. Not about this case, though. About yourself. Quid pro quo. Yes or no. Released on February 14, 1991, just in time for Valentine's Day, The Silence of the Lambs, adapted by Ted Talley from the 1988 novel of the same name by Thomas Harris and directed by Jonathan Demme, would go on to become the fifth highest grossing film in the world for that year and would do something that only two motion pictures 1934's It Happened One Night and 1975's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest had done before it, win Oscars for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Screenplay, Best Actor, and Best Actress. The Silence of the Lambs stars Jodie Foster as FBI trainee Clarice M. Starling, Scott Glenn as Jack Crawford, the agent in charge of the Behavioral Science Unit, Ted Levine as Jane Buffalo Bill Gum, the serial killer Starling is hunting, 
And in a 16-minute tour de force performance, Anthony Hopkins as Dr. Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter, the incarcerated genius who assists Starling on her mission. Closer, please. Closer. The film originally began life as a directorial project for Gene Hackman, who was also signed on to star as Jack Crawford. After Hackman left the project, citing the script as too violent, director Demi was brought on and originally envisioned Michelle Pfeiffer in the role of Starling, but she passed on it due to nervousness over the subject matter. Meg Ryan also passed because of the dark themes, and Laura Dern was considered, but not deemed a big enough box office draw. Although Demi originally did not see Foster in the part, she got it due to her passion over the script and character. Sean Connery was approached to play Lecter, but passed on it. After Al Pacino, Dustin Hoffman, Robert De Niro, Derek Jacobi, and Daniel Day-Lewis were considered, the part went to Hopkins. The casting proved to be right. Foster and Hopkins would both appear on the American Film Institute's list of the 100 greatest heroes and villains in film history. Foster's Starling came in at number six, the highest ranked heroine, and Hopkins took the number one spot. The film also appears at number 74 on the AFI list of the greatest films ever made, number five on its list of greatest thrillers, and this quotable line came in at number 21 on the 100 Years 100 Quotes list. A census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Anthony Heald as Dr. Chilton, Frankie Faison as the orderly Barney, Brooke Smith as Catherine Martin, Diane Baker as Senator Ruth Martin, Cassie Lemons as Ardelia Mapp round out a cast that also features appearances by the great character actors Tracy Walter and Charles Napier, as well as appearances by singer-songwriter Chris Isaac and the legendary movie producer and director Roger Corman. The film is considered culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant by the U.S. Library of Congress and was selected to be preserved in the National Film Registry in 2011. To date, it is the only film considered to be a horror movie to win for Best Picture. Believe me, you don't want Hannibal Lecter inside your head. Welcome, boogers, to the 30th episode of The Late Night Fright. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we are talking about 1991's Silence of the Lambs. Faith, let's just get right into it. Let's do it. Let's start with Clarice Starling, played by Jodie Foster. I like to talk about first images in films because I think that the first image and scene give us an insight into what the film is really about. First image we see is that of a deep, dark wood. Ooh, lots of trees and a misty fog hangs over the proceedings. Clarice emerges through this fog, and we see her training on an FBI obstacle course. The music here is by Howard Shore who was the original band leader on Saturday Night Live and has scored over 80 films, winning three Oscars for his work on the Lord of the Rings trilogies, two for best score and one for best song. Music here is almost pastoral. There's a there's a rural quality to it, as well as a heavy loneliness that you hear from the first notes of the motif played by what I think is either an English horn or an oboe. What do you think of this particular piece of music as a mood setter for the story that is about to unfold? Oh, I think it's absolutely lovely. It was pulling me in as soon as it came on. I'm sure you like it just as much as I do. Oh, I, I like it just as much as you. And I think the music throughout this film has a very uh, unique quality. It's kind of really part of the film. It's really ingrained in the, in the film. Uh, the music also has an intensity to it that picks up as we watch Clarice training. One of the things I found interesting watching this again 
was that she was by herself. She's training alone, and it almost works as a chase scene, even though she's not running from anyone. This begs the question, Faith, why is she alone and what is she running from? And this gets right into the heart of who Clarice is, and we're not even two minutes into the film. So let me ask you, who is Clarice Starling to you? To me, just seeing her in the beginning, she seems like she's very determined, maybe ambitious. Um, I feel like you can kind of tell she has maybe a point to prove to somebody. I don't know. Did you kind of get that feeling? I got I got that idea. Um and those are not derogatory things. Those are those are good things that you right. that you just mentioned. I see the two issues plaguing Starling throughout the movie as one, her femininity, and I don't mean that in a disrespectful or derogatory way. She's all of five foot three. I wouldn't I wouldn't call her a waif. You wouldn't call her a waif either, would you? No, I wouldn't. But she's not an imposing physical figure. She has to try very hard. And you see her trying pretty hard here in the opening minutes of the movie. And I want to add that it appears she's navigating this course pretty well. That's And you see her yeah, hustling. Is. So the world of Silence of the Lambs is a man's world. We don't see too many women outside of Clarice. She is going into a field that's pretty male-dominated. So if they're not looking at her as a sexual object, they're actively looking down on her because she's a woman. We're going to see this idea played out visually throughout the movie. What did you think of that assessment? Oh, I definitely agree with that. With everything you just said. The second thing that's happening here is she is, this is re, a replay of her trauma. And we're going to learn throughout the movie that she's haunted by the memory of not being able to save the lambs. And here it seems to me that she's trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. She's also haunted by the death of her father, a man she absolutely idolized who was killed in the line of duty. Faith, what do you think Clarice is haunted by outside of those things that we just mentioned? Um, See if you agree with me. I kind of, uh, you told me kind of what you think she's haunted by, and I agree with you, even though you haven't mentioned it yet. Um, I feel like she's haunted by the lack of, she's not able to provide help. Does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, and I think it ties in what I'm, I'm gonna, gonna throw out. I think, I think they're all related to she has a sense of powerlessness, right, about her. And that powerlessness has manifested into ambition. And sometimes I think in our world, ambition gets a really bad rap, but look at what it's done for her. Exactly. You know, Hannibal, and Hannibal correctly deduces and analyzes this character trait of hers mm -hmm. later in the movie. that She is an ambitious woman, and that's not a bad thing. So do you think it's a bad thing? Do you think she's running from something here? And do you think of her as a whole person, or is she broken in some way? Um, no, I wouldn't say it's technically a bad thing. Um don't know if she's running from anything do you i feel like Impossibly. i feel like she's replaying that that trauma yeah you know um but I, I do think she's somewhat broken of a person i don't think she's completely whole i think she's broken think, in a yeah. sense i don't think she shows it too much where you you know you look at her instantly and say oh you know she's a broken person mm -hmm. you can kind of read that from her i think she's broken and I think, but I think that she has channeled that into positive mm -hmm. things. But uh, no, I don't think I don't think she's whole. And we're going to get a lot more into that when we get into some of the the deeper meanings here. So Jodie Foster won an Oscar for playing Clarice. What do you think of her uh, in this movie? I love her. I don't think I've seen a lot of stuff she's been in. I don't even know if I can think of anything she's been in off the top of my head. I, I adore. Her. I think Jodie's great. There's a there's a sternness to her that I really like. There's a there's a hard chisel quality yeah. to her character, and uh, I I like Jodie Foster. So we're gonna get into this more in the second point. I'm, I'm gonna make a point that Silence of the Lambs is a fairy tale and rooted in mythology. But I want to note here that Clarice Starling is an orphan, and so many times in Mr. Fairy Tales, our hero is an orphan. 
That's so a very good point. You see that all the time. Yeah. So Clarice is pulled off of the training course and told to go see Jack Crawford, the head of the FBI Behavioral Science Unit. It's during her journey to Crawford that we see two recurring visual motifs that populate the film. Starling in a room full of men and the image of a hallway. It's quite apparent when Starling gets on the elevator, all five foot three of her with the big burly red shirted men. A few of them even steal some glances at her and check her out. And I wouldn't say it was in a leering or ogling kind of way, but they just kind of glance over and look at her. Uh, this is something that occurs throughout the film and something Lecter even brings up to her during one of their meetings. Faith, what do you think of this? Also, how does that make you feel seeing Starling in the elevator? Because that was a that's an image that just jumped right out to me. Oh, I was going to say it's definitely a very strong scene. That's something that you just can't help but to notice them all looking at her like that. Um, yeah, I definitely I see, you know, how they played this with her being this small little lady. I wouldn't say small, but, you know. Like you said, she's not. She's tiny. She's, Physically, yeah, she, she's yeah, she, tiny. Yeah, she's not intimidating looking. And, um, yeah, she's in a man's world. And that scene right there is just, it's everything. Now, I want to put this out right now. I don't think that the men are misogynistic. I don't no. think there's a, a nefarious intent to, to them looking at her. I think they're just looking at her. Right. Um, but I feel sympathy for her mm-hmm. in that, you know. Everything that this movie does is make you feel sympathy for Clarice because she's going to overcome some things and, and you want your hero to overcome. So the uh, other visual motif we establish here is that of the hallway. And I, Faith, you know this about me. I really like dream interpretation. Mm-hmm. And the website dreammoods.com has some great symbolic definitions on it. Here is their entry for hallways. To see a hallway in your dream symbolizes self-exploration. It is the beginning of the path that you are taking in life. You are going through a transitional phase and journeying into the unknown. It also signals spiritual enlightenment, emotional growth, physical prowess, new opportunities, and mental passages in your life. Fair assessment? Absolutely. Fair assessment for why they're using hallways here. Yes. I think so, too. So we meet Crawford, played by the great Scott Glenn. He is sending Starlin on an errand, as he calls it, to go see Dr. Hannibal Lecter. He is not exactly forthcoming with why he is sending her, even though Starling susses it out pretty quickly. Crawford is sending her because he wants Lecter's help in apprehending the serial killer known as Buffalo Bill. This brings up one of the main themes of this movie, Manipulation. Crawford is manipulating her, and he fudges on the truth just a little bit. What do you think about what he does here? Um, I wouldn't necessarily think is, um, I can't even talk. I wouldn't think it was done inappropriately. No. Um, I think it was a, an important part that he did that. Do you think so? I think it's very important because if he had told her why he was sending her, Lecter would have smelled it on her immediately. Exactly. Uh, he is a little manipulative in this movie in a good way, not in a bad way. Right. She is also manipulative. The law enforcement people do use a little bit of manipulation to good means in this film. And, of course, we do know who's the master manipulator uh, here. So uh, we spoke of this as a mythological story. And in The Great Myth, there are eight main character archetypes. Faith, would you like to read off the list there of the eight main character archetypes in mythological storytelling? I don't even have them right here. You don't have them? No. I can't believe you. Well, I'll, I'll pick up this slide. It's 30th show, so... <laughs> Uh, the hero, the mentor, the herald, the ally, the shapeshifter, the trickster, the gatekeeper, and the shadow or a villain. And I apologize. I thought you had this in front of you. Uh, uh, what's m- odd is that I have all the notes, but I do not have that. Part. That's all right. That's very odd. So many times characters will serve double duty. Crawford serves triple duty here as a mentor figure to Starling and as a herald. The herald is the figure that pulls the hero out of their ordinary world and sends them on their journey of self-discovery. He is also... 
her ally. So before we get off of Crawford here, what do you think about Scott Glenn in this movie? Oh, I loved him. I think he's one of my favorite parts of the whole movie. Is there anything in particular? I think he's very put together. I think he is, too. I like the way he he kind of treats her, I guess. Um, the one scene, too, where she asks all the police officers to leave the room and he looks at her. You know what I'm talking about? That's one of the great scenes in the movie. I love that. I just so at that moment I was like, okay, I really, I really like him. I think he was very. And good. I like when he apologizes to her. Well, it's not really an apology, but it really miffed you. You know, me telling, you know, talking to the men alone. You know, he gets it. Right. I, I think he gets it. Right. And uh, there's very something sure about him in this movie. I like it. So, are you ready to get to it? Let's do it. Let's do it. We get to it. The first meeting between Clarice Starling and Dr. Hannibal Lecter. But before she can get to the good doctor, she must face another archetype in the form of Dr. Chilton, played here wonderfully by Anthony Heald. Uh, Chilton serves the character function of trickster, shapeshifter, and gatekeeper. The trickster adds a little bit of fun to the story, and their actions may harm or aid our hero. The shapeshifter is one whose allegiances may change depending on which way the winds blow. The gatekeeper is just that, the person who guards a door that our hero needs to enter. So what do you think of Dr. Chilton, and do you think there's a bit of comic relief to his character? I do think there is uh, some comic relief to him, but he wasn't my favorite. No, not at all. But uh, the note I have on him is smarmy and competence. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which I think is a pretty apt description. I, mean, I think him. he was needed, but... I've, oh, he's completely know, he, yeah, needed, he yes, story-wise, yes. Yes, but... But he is uh, quite incompetent, and right. he's another one that leers at her. I mean, the first thing out of his mouth is he calls her attractive, so... Exactly. Uh, his character brings out a great trait in Starling, following the theme we established of Starling having men leer at her and see her as a purely sexual figure. His attempts at flirting with her are swatted away pretty effortlessly by Clarice. She's very adaptable, especially the way she turns their last exchange back on them, the pleasure of your company exchange. Remember that one? Yes. Uh, so here we go. Ready? Yep. Dr. Hannibal Lecter, played by Anthony Hopkins. After taking a series of hallways and descending downstairs, Clarice finally comes face-to-face with Hannibal Lecter. Faith, let's get to it. What is our enduring fascination with this character? I think he's just so fascinating because he's so weird and mysterious, and you just kind of want to get into his head. And I don't know. He's just hes strange. He's just supposed to be this smart doctor who's intellectual and trustworthy and he's completely opposite of that there are some things that are not uh reconciled with him he is the best of us he is very cultured Mm -hmm. and intelligent he's very smart he's also the worst of us right and he looks down on us so much that he eats us i think he sees us as pigs uh i think it's those two things button up against each other which make him so interesting and then the courtesy yet he's a vile murderer it's Mm -hmm. it's fascinating so uh, Anthony Hopkins is famously doing an impression of Hal 9000 from 2001 and Catherine Hepburn. What effect does this have for you, What the way he uh, talks? I think it's creepy sounding. What do you think? I think it's very, very soothing and <laughs> creepy. It's creepy. I think it's clever. I think it's very clever and creepy. And you did a very nice job with that. Thank you, Faith. You're welcome. <laughs> So the first meeting is one of the greatest in the history of cinema for me. And I want to make a note here about the way Jonathan Demme shot this. The dialogue scenes are shot pretty much entirely in close-up. So we stay on one character's face as they talk to the other. So the effect is, Faith, can you figure out what that effect is? What is it? It's like they're talking to us. Yeah. It helps us kind of be that character. So we get Lecter unfiltered. We also get Clarice unfiltered from Hannibal's point of view. And what do you think of this first meeting? I think it's brilliant. I was going to say, too, I love the way it's also shot. I think that is so, it's wonderful. I like the way you get to see each of them. And um, I just like the way that 
their character, you know, you get to learn who Hannibal is, obviously. And I think it's nice how she reacts to him. It's kind of different than you would expect it to. I feel like she'd be a little more maybe off-put or freaked out. What I like about Jodie Foster here is you can tell she's scared. Exactly. But she's hiding. But exactly. She's not hiding she's it. She's not hiding but it, but she's not keeping work, it. acting on she, it. Yeah, she's keeping it under control and composed. And I think it's just a brilliant scene. I think everything about it. it and is. so he's a genius. And, and like Clarice, he immediately figures out why she's there. And he also correctly figures out what her issues are. We spoke about those uh, at the beginning of this section. And their relationship is really the heart of this movie. Do you think Hannibal is attracted to Clarice? I think so. And I think he's attracted to, I think he can see some type of brokenness and darkness inside of her. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. Do you think he's sexually attracted to her? Possibly. I, I, that never enters my mind when I watch this movie. But, I mean, I mean, it's not something that I'm sitting there thinking about the whole entire exactly. time. But if you're asking me, I mean, possibly. I think he sees her as pure. Yeah. I think there's a pureness to her. And he's pure evil. Yeah. And he knows himself and he wants her to know herself. And uh, his character function here is he's a mentor to her and a shapeshifter, which is a really interesting combination. He's also a master manipulator and he manipulates this entire situation to his advantage. And I also see him as a dragon. And it's in fairy tales. Uh, if this was a fairy tale, he'd be a dragon. Dragons are notorious hoarders. Hannibal hoards knowledge. In myth and fairy tales, there's the idea that if magic is used, Faith, you know what this, where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. What is it? There's a price for using the magic. And he is not supernatural, but there's a magical quality about him. And the price for his knowledge, Faith, what is it? His escape. It's almost inevitable. Another theme of the movie is presented here, respect. Hannibal likes good manners, and after multiple migs, gives Clarice a um, not-so-nice present. <laughs> Hannibal agrees to help her find Buffalo Bill. And Buffalo Bill is the key to the theme of the entire movie. Faith, when we get back, we're going to talk about Buffalo Bill. Sounds good to me. We will see you on the other side. a production of Hannibal, starring Bobby, host of Afterglow, the show that comes on after the Late Night Fridays, Dr. Hannibal Lecter, and Faith, host of the Late Night Fridays, Clarice Starling. I came halfway around the world to watch you run, Clarice. Hey, let me run, huh? Hey, hey, tell me, Clarice, like, would you ever say to me, stop? Like, you know, like, hey, if you want me, you know, you'd stop. Not a thousand years. But, Bobby, you're not reaching the emotional depth of the Hannibal character, and therefore, Faith cannot reach the emotional depth of the Clarice character. This scene is about emotionality, and you're just not cutting it, Bobby. Perhaps I might be of some assistance. If you allow me, I would like to play the scene with Faith. 
Hey, who is this guy? And action. I came halfway around the world to watch you run, Clarice. Let me run. Huh? Tell me, Clarice, would you ever say to me, stop, if you love me, you'd stop? Not in a thousand years. That's my girl. Ow, he bit me. Yeah, you better run. That guy was fantastic. He could be the greatest actor I've ever seen. Yeah, he was like way better than me. Ah, uh, hello, I'm bleeding over here. Hey, shut up, Faith. Ain't you ever heard about suffering for your art? Ta-da. Hannibal, a production for Cozy Corner Community Playhouse. This is a man's, man's, man's world. But it wouldn't be nothing, nothing. Not a woman on earth. Welcome back, boogers. We are talking about the 1991 movie Silence of the Lambs. Faith, let's get right into it with part two. So we're going to talk about Buffalo Bill, the serial killer starling is hunting in this movie. We've mentioned the eight main archetypes in mythological storytelling, the hero, mentor, ally, herald, trickster, shapeshifter, gatekeeper, and shadow. Oftentimes, characters will serve double or triple duty as different archetypes, but in this movie, only two characters serve one each. That's Starling as the hero and Buffalo Bill as the shadow. He is the key to all of this. If you can understand Buffalo Bill, you can understand Starling. Buffalo Bill, also known as Jame Gum, is played here by Ted Levine, and this is a really good performance. Bill, the naughty boy, as Hannibal calls him, is killing women and skinning them because he's making a woman suit. Before we get into the dynamics of this, what do you think of Ted Levine's performance? Oh, I think he's absolutely incredible. I think he's intense and creepy, and he just seems like the devil. I'm glad you brought that up. So we need to address this before we get into any talk of his character. This movie was controversial when it came out, and there remained some controversy surrounding the character of Buffalo Bill because of his sexuality. He is portrayed here. Faith, uh, I have it down as bisexual and transsexual. What do you think? Yeah, I would say that. And some were offended because he was the killer. Uh, Demi responded to this by saying Buffalo Bill wasn't, and I quote here, wasn't a gay character. He was a tormented man who hated himself and wished he was a woman because that would have made him as far away from himself as he possibly could be. Uh, I've never seen his sexuality as the driving force behind what he's doing. Do you think his sexuality is the reason he's killing? No, I don't think so at all. I think it's all... He's just an absolute broken person. I think that's all it is. I agree. And the movie makes the point that uh, through Lecter that this is, uh, well, he is a product of systemic abuse. There's trauma and it broke him. Now he has no identity. He thinks, they make that point, he thinks he's a transsexual. They make a point of saying that. What he is to me, and I think to you as well, he's a psychopath. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the mirror aspect of his character. We have Starling, a female, trying to make it in a man's world. We have Bill, a man trying to become a woman. He wants to be as far away from himself as he possibly can be. Starling has channeled her trauma into what we would call a noble ambition. Bill's ambition is unnatural. Bill wants to change, and he's doing it in very wrong and warped ways. He's killing, skinning his victims and wearing their skin. 
And this is the main theme of the movie, transformation. Starling is transforming, and so is Bill. Do you see this visually throughout the movie? Oh, absolutely. Do you? Absolutely. Lots of butterflies, moths, things that change. It's on the movie poster. And there's another visual metaphor working here in relation to Bill, the American flag. We see it displayed prominently in several scenes throughout the movie. Do you think the movie is trying to say that we created this monster? As society? I mean, it's quite possible. I can see it being a real monster. What do you think? I, I think we all have a hand in it. Yeah. I, I do. Um, I can see that. That's, uh, that's a long conversation for another time. But yes, yes, I would go there. So uh, getting back to Bill, I want to talk about his look and the function he serves in the story. Bill is, as Faith, you said it. What is he? The devil. And look at his lair. That is pure hell, and there's even a pit. Mm, I know. <laughs> uh, Levin has that widow's peak, which makes it look like he has devil's horns. Um, he can even see in the dark like a beast. We see that with the night vision goggles, and but there's even bigger tell. Uh, I'm reminded of the Baphomet. Do you know the Baphomet, Faith? Uh, I've heard of it. The devilish figure that combines mm-hmm. male and female qualities. He even appears in the abduction scene like a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah. Ooh. So can you see the parallels between the two transformations that are happening here? I can. Yes, I can. To me, the irony of Bill is that he wants to be a woman, and with every murder, he kills the nurturing feminine part of himself. Uh, and we talked about mm-hmm. the X-Files recently. We talked, and um, Mulder has the traits of intuition, usually assigned the females. And Scully has the traits of logic and rationality usually assigned to male characters. So let's talk about how Starling apprehends Bill. She uses logic, deduction, and reasoning, but in the final confrontation, Faith, what does she use? She uses intuition. She's able to overcome him in the dark. Do you see this as the final step of her transformation? I do, because like you said earlier, I think this makes her feel less powerless, and I feel like it makes her complete, that she actually saved somebody. This, to me, makes her whole. Yeah. I think, um, you know, the lambs are now quiet. She saved the lambs. and uh, But to me, also, she has navigated and reconciled logic and rationality with intuition. She's a whole person. And this, to me, makes her a hero. Um, does that make any sense to you? Oh, absolutely. Do you, uh, do you feel she's someone to be emulated? Yeah, I think so. I, I, I absolutely do. Um, I think it's incredible, you know, 30 years later, and here I am a, you know, white heterosexual male, and I identify with Clarice Starling, (laughs) you know, completely. Uh, So at the beginning of the discussion, we heard the voices of three men, George Mm -hmm. Lucas, Anthony Hopkins, and Joseph Campbell. Faith, do you know who George Lucas is? I do. He directed a little movie called American Graffiti. Did you know that? I know that. Yeah. He was one and done after American Graffiti. He didn't direct anything after American Graffiti. Okay, maybe, maybe <laughs> Star Wars. <laughs> That's what so, I thought. so, um, so the movie Star Wars. This is a great example of the hero's journey, and this is a template of storytelling popularized by the work of Joseph Campbell, the gentleman we heard discussing mythology there at the beginning. Uh, Star Wars is the purest example of Campbell's hero's journey narrative. Volumes of books out there about this. We're going to give you a Cliff's Notes version. Campbell has seventeen. Uh, beats to his hero's journey, um, 17 stages. And they're divided into three subsections. The first subsection is called The Departure. Uh, Christopher Vogler, author of the book The Writer's Journey, Mythic Structure, he took Campbell's work and distilled it even further into ideas that screenwriters could use. 
So we're going to be using Vogler's ideas here as we talk about Star Wars and then Silence of the Lambs. And remember, this all comes from Joseph Campbell. So Faith, what are the stages under departure? The ordinary world, the call to adventure, the refusal of the call, meeting with the mentor, crossing the first threshold. Isn't it something that there are three subsections to Campbell's hero's journey and there are three acts in a screenplay? Pretty amazing, right? Yes. So, Faith, please tell us the story of Luke Skywalker from about the first 30 or so minutes of the original Star Wars. Luke is a farm boy working on his aunt and uncle's farm. This is the normal world. After his uncle purchases a pair of droids, one of them, R2-D2, plays a message that was recorded by Princess Leia before she was captured by Darth Vader. This is the call to adventure. R2 says he needs to find Obi-Wan Kenobi and sneaks into the desert. Luke follows him and is saved by Obi-Wan from an attack by the Sand People. This is the meeting with the mentor. R2 plays the message for Obi-Wan, and the old man asks Luke to help him on the mission. Luke refuses. This is the refusal of the call. Luke decides to go after the Empire, murders his aunt and uncle. That is, of course, after the Empire murders his aunt and uncle, not Luke murdering his aunt and uncle. What? So, so this is the I'm crossing. Sorry, did, I, did I say something wrong? No, no, no. It was just Maybe your, my notes are a little The emphasis, down. yeah. <laughs> uh, so this is the crossing of the threshold that takes us to the first act break, uh, a little more than 30 minutes into the movie. Usually that event, the crossing the threshold, is the first act break in a film. It is roughly 30 minutes in. But there is some exposition before all of this in Star Wars so we can understand the world uh, that we're playing in here. So we then move into Campbell's second stage, which he calls initiation and faith. What are the beats to the initiation stage? Test, allies, and enemies approach to the most, I can't even read today, inmost cave, the ordeal and reward. Please continue with the story of Luke Skywalker. Luke and Obi-Wan go to, how do you say this? Most Eisley. Okay. And meet Han Solo and Chewbacca, who agree to take them off planet. I did a really good job taking them off the planet, too. <laughs> Uh, that is the test allies and enemies section. As Obi-Wan teaches Luke about the Force, the Falcon is lured into the Death Star. Approaching the inmost cave. Obi-Wan goes to disable the tractor beam, while Luke, Han, and Chewie go rescue the princess. Boy, she was a piece of work. And that is uh, the ordeal the stage. The group starts to work together to get off of the Death Star. Reward or seizing the sword, as it is also called. And what is the final stage called? The return. The stages are the road back, the resurrection, and return with the elixir. Go on with the story of Luke. Obi-Wan sacrifices himself so they can get back to the rebellion. This is the road home. Luke, using the Force, is able to destroy the Death Star. Resurrection. Luke is rewarded for his efforts and joins the rebellion. The return with the elixir. So again, this is a condensed version of this idea, but I hope you get the idea. Mm -hmm. And you see this in myth and fairy tales and in blockbuster films. And this structure is used in Silence of the Lambs. And I think it elevates the film from just a horror film to something more that speaks to us on a very deep level. So, Faith, now you know the basic structure. Um, Lambs is not as clear-cut on some of the beats of Star Wars, but it does work. Are you ready? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw them out. All right. Ready? Ordinary world. Mm -hmm. Clarice trains for the FBI. Call to adventure. Crawford asks Clarice to interview Hannibal. Uh, these get a little messy, but I have faith. In faith. Refusal of the call. Uh, no, 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 no. Let's see. Jumping the gun there, Faith. What am I jumping to? 
That was my line. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, you do 30 of these shows and things go well. Well, you have it all in caps yeah. like it's my line. Here. All right, so are you ready? I'm going to throw it out to you. Refusal <laughs> of the call, meeting the mentor, crossing the threshold. Clarice goes to the hospital and visits Lecter. She leaves when he returns to help, but he changes her mind when Miggs humiliates her. Hannibal gives her info. Test enemies, allies. Clarice follows Hannibal's clues as she tries to apprehend Buffalo Bill. Approach to the inmost cave. Hannibal begins to get to the core of Clarice's character. We hear the story of the lamb screaming. Ordeal. Clarice finds Jane Gum's lair. Reward. Clarice saves Catherine Martin. The road back. Clarice becomes an FBI agent. Resurrection. Hannibal calls Clarice. Return with the elixir. The lambs have stopped screaming because Clarice saved the girl. And this also works as a fairy tale or a quote-unquote fractured fairy tale, as they call it on Rocky and Bullwinkle. Uh, the hero is the damsel, and she saves the damsel in distress from the evil dragon with the help of another dragon. Faith, what did you think of all this? That is so very clever and interesting. And, um, and I don't want it to sound like a classroom. It's just I think this, no, you know, no. if you're out there listening and uh, go to watch the movie again, I just hope it gives you a little deeper understanding. Yeah, I would film. have never really thought about that, you know, until you brought it up. It's, it's awesome. It's fascinating stuff. It Do you is. agree that it is a fairy tale? Yeah, I would agree with that. I, I think this, like I said, just makes it work on a really deep uh, subconscious level. Yeah. So we are going to take a break, but we're uh, this is not a, an exclusive to the Late Night Fridays. We've played it here, but this is my favorite piece of music that we premiered on this show. And this was from our What Lies Beneath episode in Faith. I know you like this track, Weird Gal Strange. I love this track. I love this track. So it's not a premiere, but we're going to play it again. And we want to thank all of you out there for listening. We appreciate every single one of you. And we will see you on the other side.
Welcome back, boogers, to Late Night Fried Faith, 30th episode. I can't believe it. And we're in the home stretch now. So uh, as is tradition here on Late Night Fright, we always finish up with our favorites. Faith, let's go favorite moments and not just one, anything that you want to throw out there. So go ahead. There are a lot of them. Um, I really like the scene where he escapes and the elevator, that whole little moment right there. Which is amazing because he took all of the main cast out of the film at that point. And for about 10 minutes, you're following Chris Isaac, mm-hmm. which is amazing. You know, people you haven't met before. And I think that's a really good scene. Um, God, there's just so many. I like when Clarice is at Buffalo's Bill, uh, Buffalo Bill's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had mentioned some stuff on here that I completely agree with, if you want to name some uh, stuff. The hallway bathed in red when yes. Shelton shows the picture of the nurse Hannibal assaulted. Very Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. Uh, very subdued way in which Hannibal dispatches the guards. Very slasher yeah. movie, but just so calm. Uh, like you, the house, the misdirect of which house is uh, mm-hmm. in the climax of the movie. Uh, I have a note here, every single interaction between Lecter and Clarice. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's, there's there's Something so about it, yeah. Uh, the use of Lecter, 16 minutes total screen time. That's just four minutes more than what Darth Vader and Freddy Krueger had. Wow. So uh, the phone call at the end mm-hmm. and the double use, the I guess you call it a double entendre, the, the <laughs> irony of when he tells the senator, love your suit, <laughs> which hit me when I watched it the second time. Didn't read for the show. I went, oh, he's messing with her. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh, favorite character. Oh, that's a tough one. I think I'll go with Clarice. I'm actually going with Clarice, too. I thought I was going to say Hannibal, but I, it's, I thought it's so, Clarice. too, but I think she just... She was, I liked her. She was strong. Yeah. I liked the way she, you know, it, it, right. I like her. I'm, I'm going with Clarice. Uh, most chilling moment. What do you have? When their fingers touch. Yeah. That to That's... me is so much that in that moment. I'll go with you there on that one too. 
So uh, what do you think our fascination is with serial killers and true crime? That's a good question. I mean, I'm kind of obsessed with true crime and stuff like that. And Well, what's know. your obsession? Oh, I was gonna, that's what I was going to say. I guess it's Because I'm not. I guess I just want to know really what goes on in their minds. Like what possesses somebody to do the things that they do? You know, and it's very fascinating to know that people that walk the earth, that could be your next door neighbor, whatever, can do stuff to people. That's just so terrible. Right, because I have those feelings of, man, I'd like to just, you know, go beat the hell out of somebody. Right, you know, that but, person you that, don't. but I don't act on them. So what makes you. Come and I out? don't have that next phase of, you know, where those people go. You right. know, it's, 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 it's so fascinating. That's, yeah, that's where I'm going. Like, what, what sparks in your head? What clicks that you just do it? That's we may right. never know. May so never. Uh, what do you think Dr. Lecter would make of the world we live in today with social media? I don't know. I don't know how. It would be a buffet, I think. He doesn't that, like the root. I think it would be a buffet. That's what I was kind of thinking myself. That's, yeah. I'm going to go with that. And finally, are there any redeeming qualities to the character of Hannibal? What do you think? Ah, uh, <laughs> I think there are qualities to be admired. I don't think there's any redeeming qualities to I don't to think him. redeeming. I'm going to go with, yeah, I think there's, you know. There's things about him that I guess you could say are decent, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but not really. Right. Like I said, admirable qualities, but nothing right. redeeming. Yeah, yeah. How awesome is Anthony Hopkins? Oh, he is incredible. He's he's amazing. I can't say enough good things about him. So, well, this was uh, this was a big one. Thirtieth episode, Silence of the Lambs. I feel like we 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 went pretty deep. That's what she said. There it is. We haven't gotten one in this episode. That's what she said. Thank you, sir. May I have another? That's what she said. So, Faith, do you have anything else to add about the Silence of the Lambs? Not really. Not that I could think of. Um, like I had I had seen parts of the movie before, so going through and watching the whole thing, I can't believe I had never sat down and watched all of it. I loved it. From beginning to end. Yeah. yeah. It's an amazing movie. There's a reason why it's still, it's still around and I speaks know. to us. So... Faith, 30 episodes in, I'm ready to do 30 more. What about you? Let's do 130 Let's do 130 more. more. Let's keep going. <laughs> Let's just keep going. It's been a pleasure. I am looking forward to, I've, I've enjoyed every single one of them. I'm looking Me forward too. to every one that's, that's, that's coming up. So we're going to go ahead and close this out. I am Dan. And I am Faith. And we want you to keep, keep your, your monster on a leash. We will see you on the other side. Yeah.